a cuppa and a good chinwag? The story has real-life stories to inspire and make you smile. Weekdays on Vision and on demand in the app. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. As you will be aware, intolerance of Christians appears to be slowly creeping into many of our Australian institutions. Christian leaders, Christian lawyers are feeling the pinch, recognising that faith is being pushed out of public life and the rise of anti-Christian sentiments in the West. Well, there appears to be some consensus that the time is right to stand firm and reclaim a rightful place for foundational freedoms in Australia. Well, there's a very important conference that starts tomorrow in Perth. It'll be important for all Australians, not just for those who are gathering to talk about what sort of rights or responsibilities Christians have, but the brightest legal minds are gathering to unpack the reality of religious freedom at the crossroads the rise of anti-Christian sentiments in the West. Now, the patron for the conference that starts tomorrow is no less than former Prime Minister John Howard. And the keynote speaker is the distinguished Emeritus Professor William Wagner of Western Michigan University, Thomas Cooley Law School in the United States. And it is our wonderful privilege today to be able to welcome the keynote speaker, Professor William Wagner, to 2020. Professor Wagner, a special welcome to Australia and to 2020. It, it is a privilege to be here. Thank you for having me this morning. You're in Australia to be the keynote speaker at the conference that starts tomorrow in Perth. And I'll tell listeners how they can actually participate in that conference in just a short while. But let me pick up on, first of all, while we're talking about religious freedom, while we're talking about the idea that there are those who want to shut down a Christian voice, uh, this conference hasn't been without controversy too because Facebook has become your enemy in this. Uh, They decided to censor promotion of this conference conference and blocking the site for violating community standards. What's your understanding of what Facebook tried to do to shut down this conference? Well, I've learned that when God is about to make a a, a mighty move somewhere, that it, it, it will not come without, you know, some, you know, opposition. And you talked about this conference uh, involving some of the brightest legal minds. Um, my particular light bulb probably um, burns a, a a lot dimmer than some of the other people that will be speaking there, but they are brilliant minds that are indeed coming, um, all with uh, an idea that we need to have a better understanding of what this problem is and can we find solutions so that uh, the next generation, and indeed our generation, uh, can continue to have uh, these fundamental freedoms of the freedom of expression, especially religious expression, and the free exercise of religious conscience. And one of the ways um, that there was some opposition is that when uh, this conference was announced, uh, apparently um, Facebook thought that the idea of freedom of expression, how ironic, um, was so dangerous that you know its uh, its um, constituents ought not to be able to hear about it. And so um, it was, the message was suppressed. And um, God works in wonderful ways, though, doesn't he, Neil? Because apparently the controversy that 
um, arose when uh, a major company like Facebook uh, tried to suppress uh, the information, uh, the conference exploded, and now it's sold out. So <laughs> it, um, it, it is, a, it is a, uh, sometimes a wonderful thing when you have to go through a trial. I suspect too, and uh, as I'm aware of uh, some of the circumstances there, that when you try to shut down a legal conference, you recognise that there are lawyers involved, and uh, and uh, that's like a little bit like uh, poking at a at a hornet's nest, and uh, there's a little bit of anger there and threats to even sue Facebook. Uh, I'm not sure whether you know much about what went on behind the scenes, but uh, but lawyers don't like to be shut down like that. Well, I, I did hear that there was. You know some communications, and and I'm not sure, you know whether it was uh, um, uh, some divine intervention or whether the Lord was using uh, some of those brilliant minds um, uh, that we that we talked about earlier. But you know when you do have a conference of lawyers and and you tell them that they cannot exercise constitutionally protected rights, it it, can, it, it does have the effect of um, you know in, in the United States we would say poking a bear or, or like you said, hitting a hornet's nest. <laughs> you know, let me just a uh, little bit uh, diverted in our conversation for a few moments because I don't want to waste time talking about other things uh, other than the, this whole idea of uh, uh, religious freedoms. But the idea that lawyers are an important uh, facet of what happens in any battle here. Oftentimes when we're talking to Christian believers, we talk about being on your knees and praying for some level of miraculous intervention, but it doesn't escape me that down through history, uh, many of the prime movers and shakers when it's come to issues of developments around the building of the church throughout history have been people who've been qualified in the law. And uh, I wonder whether you've got a comment here, and I know that there'll be many other lawyers who might be listening in thinking, I wonder what role I have to play. Uh, what are your thoughts for lawyers getting involved in really serious issues like religious freedom? Well, before, you know, uh, be, before um, you know, Luther was called to the ministry, he considered, you know, the field of law, and obviously... St. Thomas More and you know and and many many others you know died uh, for uh, exercising uh, religious conscience uh, in the Commonwealth countries. William Wilberforce, you know, he was able to you know end the slave trade after a lifetime—not a one or two month endeavor, but a lifetime of speaking truth and taking. Um, people and showing them just exactly what the slave trade was. He was able to get them um, to see that atrocity in a truthful light. And that is one of the things that lawyers are trained to do. We are, we are, we are trained to um, speak uh, truth and present facts in a way that are most understandable for the audience that we're speaking those facts to. And there probably has never been a more important time for the Christian lawyer or the Christian uh, pastor in my lifetime uh, than right now in many places in the world because some of these fundamental freedoms, the ability you know, to have freedom of expression and, and be able to share the good news of Jesus, uh, be able to um, share the whole gospel and, and to carry out that great commission. Uh, of um, making disciples of all nations. And, and the, the following part of that 
part of that commission was and, and teaching them all these things, <laughs> teaching them all these things, not just part of what um, God has said, but being having the freedom to be able to teach um, the truth and to, and to tell the truth there have never been more at risk uh, than they are now. And so we're all broken vessels, and whether we are a pastor in a pulpit or a lawyer uh, in a courtroom or a legislator in a parliament or a legislature somewhere, um, now is our, uh, for such a time as this, you know, we're called here. Um, I recently was speaking to a church on the book of Jude, and in Jude, the brother of Christ, he, you know, wanted to talk about the salvation. He wanted to talk about the common salvation. He wanted to talk about the good news. And, and he says that as he introduces the book, but the interesting thing says, he then says, but, but I found it necessary to instead, you know, appeal to you to contend earnestly for the faith, contend earnestly for the truth and the word. And so every pastor, every lawyer, every Christian person would prefer, I think, to be out there um, teaching the word of God, sharing the good news, and, and, and helping people transform their lives. Uh, but here, because of the times, and I think the times are, are, are similar in, in, here in Australia and in the United States as they were in Jude's time, um, there was an importance of saying, I found it necessary to appeal to you to contend earnestly for the faith. And I think that's what lawyers and pastors um, increasingly are, are being called uh, to do, given the exercise of uh, power and authority, you know, suppressing their ability to do that. A little illustration comes to mind as the returning children of Israel uh, out of their time in Babylon back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And uh, there were those who were called to rebuild the walls uh, with, uh, you know, sword and trowel. The trowel in one hand to rebuild the wall, the sword in the other to battle against the enemies who were trying to stop the wall being built. There's something special about uh, the idea of defending uh, freedoms because oftentimes we talk about religious freedom. We think we're defending the freedoms of the Christian believers, but defending religious freedom is defending all of the other freedoms that flow on from that, and that will be important for all Australians. When you're speaking to this conference tomorrow, uh, I imagine you're coming with some international perspectives that will be about defending the freedoms of all Australians, not just for those who are Christians. Uh, absolutely. The, uh, what we call, the, as lawyers call, the rule of law uh, is an essential uh, foundational um, building block of uh, any uh, democracy or any government that um, hopes to um, be pr that hopes to have a uh, a country that will be prosperous and where its citizens uh, will be free, and you know, for those of us who are Christian people, we understand the rule of law because you know God gives us <laughs> uh, in our personal lives, you know. And he puts the law in our hearts so we know the difference between right and wrong and good and bad and just and unjust. And uh, through his word and in his creation, we can see um, that God has put in these, these truths on our heart. We don't need to, um, for example, when I speak to university students, uh, you know, they know that if they look on their fellow student's paper and, and steal their answer, that that is wrong. They don't have to go to the student policy manual 
uh, to find out whether that activity is wrong. They, they know that that is in, inherently wrong. And, and, and so the rule of law is um, a fundamental um, foundation for any good government. And part of the rule of law uh, for any free nation uh, to survive has to be um, a limitation on the exercise of government power uh, that limits government authorities interfering with a citizen's freedom of expression or free exercise of religious conscience. And we, we see that, that lesson learned over and over again in history, where you know, governments that you know, tend to uh, suppress speech, and especially religious speech, or governments that intend, uh, intentionally uh, inflict uh, interference on uh, the exercise of religious conscience, you know, those governments very quickly um, lead to uh, tyranny. And if you take away that moral compass that is the rule of law, that tells a government official what, that what they're doing is right or wrong or good or bad or true or not true, uh, then the person holding power sets that standard. And, and, and that standard is never a standard. It's always a moving target, and it is whatever their political agenda of the moment is. It is whatever their political uh, goal of the moment is. And so there is no right and wrong, and it is, um, it, it is uh, the means necessary to accomplish whatever their political end is. And that inevitably, whether you're a Christian or not, is going to result in a in a government that leads um, to a tyrannical um, to a tyrannical government. Helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. Twenty twenty on Vision. Our talkback line open one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Our special guest this hour is the keynote speaker at a conference that starts tomorrow in Perth called the Religious Freedom at the Crossroads Conference, The Rise of Anti-Christian Sentiments in the West. Distinguished Emeritus Professor William Wagner of the Western Michigan University Thomas Cooley Law School in the United States is our guest. And William, if we move into an idea of what's going on around the world, that this is not something localised to our shores here in Australia. Uh, Of course, uh, just reflecting on what you were saying just before the break, if you don't limit the government's authority to interfere with religious conscience, you open the door to tyranny and even totalitarianism, and this is a threat that's happening in the West. What are your thoughts for what's going on in the US and in other parts of the world? There is uh, an, in, an increase, in, not just a noticeable increase, but an exponential uh, increase in um, a, uh, efforts to uh, suppress uh, religious ideas. Um, I, I can speak to most especially the United States, but you know, in other Commonwealth countries, in, in England, and, and don't miss the uh, irony of this, uh, Neil, um, they are arresting pastors for reading from the King James Bible on the street. Uh, in a very public area, and you know, so it has become, you know, hate speech and a crime to uh, to read from the Bible authorized by the King of England, and so it's it's um, it, it has gone to uh, great lengths where people that are trying to share the Word of God are actually uh, arrested. Uh, in the United States, um, pastors have had their uh, sermons. Uh, attempted to be seized from their computers so that they can um, 
be evaluated on whether or not they were uh, politically correct, and if not, you know, we're going to have sanctions. Pastors have been arrested. Um, there are um, my I have I run a ministry now. I, I left uh, full time academia uh, a little early uh, as I you know saw some of these things happening. My wife and I worked very hard to um, get debt free, and we prayed and prayed and said we got to we have to. Um, we have to re- respond to some of this. And uh, in the so-called same-sex marriage case in the United States, we, for example, represented 25,000 African-American ministries uh, to tell our Supreme Court uh, on their behalf that um, that there's a difference between behavioral choices and uh, and race. And, you know, how we do this, matters, whether we're talking about abortion or, or some of these other more controversial issues, we have to very courageously speak the truth, but at the same time, you know, do it in such a way that um, that, that we're sharing it in, in, in love and, um, and, and in a way that is um, biblical. And this is an important aspect of a response here, because it's not just one legal argument against another, uh, because as a Christian and as a lawyer, you're actually bringing the biblical argument. And uh, for some people who think that's, you know, well, what what use is that? Because that's uh, thousands of years old. Uh, The very fact that it is thousands of years old, does that actually add more weight or does that diminish the value of biblical argument? Because I suspect that's where the real weight of uh, of empowerment comes from, the fact that it is such a tried and true uh, foundation to be able to build on. Well, these are many years old. These ideas like do unto others as you would have them do unto you. These ideas like um, thou shalt not steal. Uh, these ideas uh, like... Um, you know, thou shalt not kill. These these are very old ideas. That doesn't uh, diminish their truth. That doesn't diminish uh, their value as um, good, strong, uh, moral standards. Um, the idea of in First Peter three eight of uh, being harmonious and sympathetic and kind hearted and humble in spirit and how we present that truth. Those are very old I- ideas uh, as well and. That does not diminish in any way um, their truth. Now, th- one of the things that the in- is, it's very interesting that we see uh, governments and especially unelected judges in different parts of the world doing is they take those truths, they take those ancient truths of which we govern our own personal conduct, in which if um, governments, you know, uh, are informed by those ideas. Um, make laws that make it against the law for murder or to steal, for example, um, and they take that truth and they say, well, there's no such thing as truth, and you're a bigot if you think there is. You know, there's no such thing as truth. You need to get with, you know, the, the current times. You know, I always ask these professors that tell me there's no such thing as truth. I say, well, is that true? You know, or they tell me there's no moral absolutes. And, and I say, are you absolutely sure? I mean, and so their, their arguments are, with just one question, are broken down. But one of the things they do with their moral relativism is they take these truths that 
have been here since the beginning of time, and they will be here until Jesus returns. And they say, this is no matter, this is no longer a moral absolute, this is no longer a truth, this is now a policy. It's a policy question. And because it's a policy question, it's now up for debate. And um, we're going to allow everybody to participate in this debate over this particular policy question unless you are informed by religious ideas. And if you're informed by religious ideas, then, then you're not allowed to participate in the debate. And so what um, they have very effectively done with that legal strategy is they have uh, eliminated Christian people from participating in the policy-making process or from participating in the marketplace of ideas. That's very dangerous. Um, if you have to tell somebody that you can only participate in the marketplace of ideas or you can only participate in the, in the policy-making process if you are informed by secular ideas, well, guess what that excludes? That, that, that excludes... Um, People like William Wilberforce, who, like we talked about in the first segment, uh, ended the slave trade in the world, in the world for England. It, um, in my own country, in the Lincoln administration, during Abraham Lincoln's uh, time, it would have um, eliminated the possibility of the Emancipation Proclamation because Lincoln, in that proclamation, um, invoked, quote, the favor of Almighty God... <laughs> And that is why slavery shall not stand. And so throughout world history, these great truths have uh, led to um, advancements uh, in uh, freedom, have led into um, um, protection of, um, and led to prosperity and, and led to uh, a, a much better uh, nation for the countries that allowed those ideas to inform uh, the marketplace of ideas and so and, and to inform the, the policy making process so that's where we're at here right now it, it's almost my country an ideological civil war between those that say there is no truth there are no moral absolutes and because there is no truth uh, you cannot be informed by that truth and you cannot participate in uh, in the discussion that we're going to have on these various policies and so um, I'm concerned in, in my nation and in Australia and in other places around the world where that process is taking place that, again, that moral compass that informs governance is uh, about to be removed. And if you, um, if you remove that moral compass, if you remove you know, that standard out there, then those who are holding power set their own standard and, and it changes from day to day depending on what their political, uh, their political agenda is. The way you describe it, William, is that this truth that we talk about, and sometimes we think that's a little bit airy-fairy even as we do, but as you link those back to uh, some of those very important key commandments, even in the Ten Commandments, we recognize that there is objective truth. And if you detach yourself from objective truth, as, as what you're describing is happening in Western civilization, like drawing up the anchor and letting the ship drift aimlessly 
and uh, therefore the rights of Christians to therefore share their faith, uh, to win a convert or to proselytize. Those things become uh, outlawed and uh, you've got uh, people who are ignoring the voice that actually has been the voice of truth that has given birth to the freedoms that we experience. Is that a fair enough way to describe the sorts of things that are happening in the West? I think it's it's very fair, but I'd go a little further, and I would say, you know, the anchor's been pulled up. Uh, Christian people are being thrown off the ship, and the ship is now out there in the middle of nowhere, and they no, lo- and they no longer know why they're out there in the first place. And so uh, when uh, you have no anchor, when you have no um, standard, you will, you know, you know float uh, aimlessly, and in uh, in those who you know, want to participate in uh, in governance of their nation will no longer be allowed to do so. And so there is a sense here that all Christians, but especially Christian leaders and Christian lawyers, uh, we've got a challenge uh, to actually present truth and to defend that and to say that there is objective truth and the objective truth is because of religion, religious faith, and in this case our Judeo-Christian foundations in that religious faith. Uh, Professor Wagner, let's before we move on in our conversation, let's take a call. Robin is waiting patiently on the line from Mount Morgan in Queensland. Hello, Robin. Welcome. Yes, hello. Um, look, you know, it's very, very obvious that people are not learning from history. Um, I just watched a film yesterday, Bitter Harvest, of Stalin, how he murdered millions of Ukrainian farmers. First of all, he demanded that they produce food for the government agenda, and then he slowly starved them, would not even let them eat. Um, but one of the first attacks was on the church. That he, that's one of the first scenes. They went in and just shot this priest, uh, demanded he give them, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And the Nazis, again, uh, took away free speech, um, took over the churches. If they couldn't bend the churches to their own thinking, then they destroyed them. Now, look, the whole nature of all of this that's going on is the nature of the devil, which is insanity. And this is what I want to... I wanted, I, I want to direct it to a personal um, thing because something hit me the other day, a memory. When I was uh, psych nursing, I tell you, because I had mental illness myself, I was depressed for many years um, and I was very suicidal, but my Bible became my best best textbook. There's no answers in psychiatry for people um, suffering from um, torment and that's what it is. But what hit me the other day was, because I used to do studies on my... um Robin, you're raising some really powerful points, that the Bible is so powerful and so life-giving, not only into a personal context, when you're going through all of the struggles and the battles, and even when you've had those struggles with mental illness, but the Bible is powerful at a community level and also at a national level. And even as we were hearing a little earlier, as we're reflecting on the way that the world order appears to be changing, and alliances are developing and changing right in the heart of that is a battle for truth and uh, Professor Wagner is with us as our special guest this hour Uh, William Wagner as we talk about things like Robin is talking about uh, the madness that is created in the world when you talk about the rise of totalitarian states without a foundation of truth uh, Robin's making a pretty good point there isn't she as she reflects on some of the issues of history well, she is, especially in the context of the current times, because so often we hear the lie that, 
you know, the Christian uh, viewpoint is, uh, is, is dangerous. And, and she raises Stalin. But, and I think of, you know, also people like Pol Pot and Hitler and, and many others. And, and those are people that, you know, said, you know, we're going to set our own standard and it's going to be a secular standard. And when they removed the idea of um, absolute truth and real truth, and made it up as they go along, hundreds and hundreds of millions of people died under um, that secular worldview. And so when you think, not just died, but were raped and maimed and, and just, you know, horrible torture. I mean, just the, the worst of things that we can't even speak of on the radio, you know, occurred, you know, under regimes that, you know, that, that said, hey, there is no God, you know, I am God or man is God, and, and I'll make it up as I go along. And when that happens, you have removed that uh, moral standard, and these horrible, horrible um, atrocities uh, occur, and throughout history they've occurred, and there's no reason to believe they won't occur again. We should not be in any doubt. Religious freedom matters because the alternative is as history has demonstrated. Thank you so much to Robin for your insight. Let's take another call. Chris is on the line from Victoria. Hi, Chris. Welcome. Uh, good, day, Chris. Um, good day, Neil and uh, guest. Yeah, I, I just think we shouldn't be too uh, surprised by this. You know, the Bible tells us that the devil knows his time is short. He's raging. He's making war against the saints. But we've got to let the people know that, you know, the ones that are supporting the devil, that they're not raging against us. They're raging against the Word of God. Bible says uh, every knee shall bow to God's name, but his word is above his name. So that's some pretty serious stuff that they're raging against. And they're actually going to bring back the righteous judge. And in, in this courtroom, there's no appeal for them. So, you know, when he says, depart from me, it's an eternal, all expenses paid, nightmare in hell. So... And that's what we've got to tell these people, yeah. Good thoughts, Chris. This idea that uh, every single citizen becomes vulnerable when we don't have religious freedom protected. Uh, William Wagner, your thoughts for Chris? It, it, Chris, that, that's, these are very, very important thoughts, and that is why I think Jude says you must, he appeals to us to contend earnestly for the faith. And, and those words in the Greek are talking about uh, an immense struggle. We are to, you know, struggle and fight for the faith. Now, you know, I always, you know, r- remind myself that whenever I read part of the Word of God, I have to put that in context of all of the Word of God. And do we have opponents out there that are coming after us sometimes in very vicious ways, you know, absolutely. But the one thing I've learned fighting these battles over the year um, is um, they're not just our opponents. Um, I, as a lawyer and a judge, have been trained to to argue. I, I can, because I've been trained this way, I could leave somebody in a puddle crying as I defeat their argument. But my job as a Christian person isn't just to win the argument, it's to win their soul. And so in First Peter 3.15, you know, we're told, you know, that we're supposed to, you know, honor Christ as Lord in always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks us to give account for the hope that is in you. Do, are we able to be able to tell people the reason for the hope you know, that we have. And so, you know, while I have been in these battles and while I've been on the, you know, the hard end of vicious 
um, uh, vicious attacks. I, I never forget that. And so while I am attempting to win them over, and, and there are many that you will not be able to win over where you just have to dust the dust off your sandals and move on, uh, but I never, ever give up on uh, a person uh, because um, God you know, calls us not to give up on that person. He says that we can save someone. He says that we can pluck some of them, you know, out of their journey to the fire. Thank you so much to Chris in Victoria. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation, a question or a comment, uh, William, you are currently even representing people in the U.S. before the Supreme Court. One case in Florida uh, where you've got a business owner who doesn't want to participate in abortion. Now, if you take away religious freedom, uh, that's what people will need to do. They will have to participate in things that they find morally reprehensible. Uh, what's the issue there with the client that you're representing? Well, we have a couple of cases, and that particular case is not yet in the Supreme Court. Uh, we'd have other cases that are. Um, this particular case, he is he, he's a president of a big company, uh, it's an important company that um, it's an electrical company that is very important to the uh, to the electrical grid uh, of the nation, and so uh, he pays his employees, you know, great salaries, gives them great benefits because he believes that's the Christian thing to do. But yet, uh, nonetheless, the gov- government came after him because he would not participate and uh, provide for abortions of his employees, and he, and he made that decision as a matter of sincerely held religious conscience, because he said, look, we're all made in the very image of God. Because of that, um, all humans have, you know, have this sacred dignity, um, so much so that, you know, God commands us, thou shalt not kill, or in the original Hebrew, thou shalt not murder. And he says, I will not participate in the murder of somebody's unborn son or daughter. And, and so we are representing him um, uh, against uh, the government of the United States, saying, you know, uh, this man has, um, you're using your power in government to interfere uh, unfairly and unconstitutionally with um, this citizen's uh, free exercise of his religious conscience. We're going to win that battle. Um, I am absolutely sure um, that, that we are going to win that battle. And, you know, um, please, I would love to have your uh, listeners uh, pray for this man who courageously is standing up and, and, and says, I would rather lose my company than, um, than defy what God has commanded me uh, to do. And so we need more people like him around the world to um, stand for truth, do it in a loving way, do it fearlessly, um, do it with... Uh, being ready to make a defense and to give an account, you know, for the hope that is in him. Uh, in uh, other places, uh, let me give you another example. In the Supreme Court of the United States right now, in any minute this case could come down, you know, even as we're talking here, uh, the uh, U.S. Supreme Court is considering uh, a case where there is a cross erected and somebody objected to the cross being erected because they say it doesn't have a secular purpose. Well, in, in our nation, under our Constitution, it says the government shall not establish um, uh, a religion and everybody shall have the free exercise of religion. And, and what's happened here is 
um, an unelected court over the years, uh, accountable to nobody, no citizens, has said, well, we don't like that rule of law as we take it. We don't like that standard as it's been given to us. So we're going to change the standard, and we're going to say, instead of the word established, we're going to say that you have to have a secular reason for everything. Well, we are arguing on behalf of... um, uh, a, a Christian organization. We don't represent the, the main parties in the case. We represent what's called an amicus uh, friend of the court uh, group in the U.S. Supreme Court. And our argument is that, you know, to the court, stop changing the standard. Go back and say what the law actually says. And the law says you just can't establish a religious government. The cross doesn't establish a religious government, so therefore that cross doesn't violate, you know, the consti- the Constitution. And um, and we can restore uh, freedom to Christian citizens to participate in their government again, because that standard, once again, precludes Christian people and other religious people from participating in the marketplace of ideas or in the public policy-making process, unless they lie and they say, well, the real reason I'm doing this is I've got some secular reason for, you know, standing against abortion or standing against, you know, um, euthanasia, uh, where the truth is they're standing against abortion or standing against euthanasia because God created all human beings in his very image and they have a sacred dignity that is worthy of government protection, um, not for some secular reason. But that shouldn't preclude them from participating in the process. Okay. There's some significant issues happening, and I know that for our Australian listeners, you'll be saying, well, we've got our own cases here in Australia, like the case of rugby player Israel Folau, and uh, no doubt you'd have heard that that's one of the significant things that's happening right now, parallel to the debate about our religious freedoms, is that this is the case that is before or is going to be before our own courts uh, for some uh, discussion and deliberation. Uh, have you? Are you familiar with the Israel Folau case, William? I, I'm, I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with it a little bit. You know, and here's the thing, though. You know, when every day there's going to be a new case, and every day in the United Kingdom there's a new case, every day in Canada there's a new case, every day in um, other Commonwealth countries like Trinidad and Tobago there, there's, there's, there's another case. And, you know, it is time that Christian people um, stand up. And we, the way we stand up matters. Uh, now, our ministry, we do bring, we do speak Jesus in the public square. We do bring the truth of Jesus to the culture. And that very often involves us being in a Supreme Court or being in a parliament or being in a, uh, a legislature. But let me tell you, Neil, we're never going to win these battles in any legal form like that. The place that this battle gets won is going to be in the pews of the churches around the world. And and so I would call on pastors to fearlessly stand in the pulpit and speak all of the truth of Jesus and not, you know, cut out the parts that may make some of their parishioners, you know, uncomfortable um, or may, you know, maybe result in, you know, somebody pushing back a little bit. Well, somebody pushes back, you know, give a defense, (laughs) give an account for the hope that is in you, be able to give a hope, reason for the hope that we have. And and so I want to challenge the pastors in Australia and in the United States and in England and in other 
uh, Commonwealth nations and other Western nations around the world to to remember we lawyers will be out there fighting, but that's not where we're going to win the battle. That's not where we're going to win. We're going to win in the pews because just like Wilberforce was able to change the way people saw the issue of slavery, we need to be able in a very persuasive and loving way to show the culture why ripping off the arm of a little baby that is alive inside the womb is wrong. I suspect that the Christian legal fraternity in Australia has an important role to play that I think you're illustrating here, William. You're saying it's not going to be just up to the lawyers to argue these cases in court or to argue these cases before government and policy makers. It's actually going to be the inspiration that comes from alerting the nation that there are big challenges, uh, that you need to act before you get to a point where you can't erect a religious symbol like the cross or you can't proselytize, you can't win someone as a convert to Christ. This battle happens in the pews. And when you talk to to lawyers uh, tomorrow and on Saturday at this very important legal conference that you're going to be speaking at, uh, there's inspiration to be had there, that the word needs to travel further beyond the legal fraternity and into the very hearts and minds of people to recognize that they've got to get serious about their faith, that church leaders have to be serious about equipping believers to understand the crisis that we're in. When I use that word crisis, is this the way you see things that are happening as these anti-Christian sentiments are developing in the West? Are we at a point where there is a crisis right now? Uh, it, it is a crisis, but it's a crisis that uh, many Christians are unaware of at this point. And there's an old, old story of a frog that is put in a pot. And, and the heat, if you, if you turn the heat up slowly enough, the frog will actually not jump out of the pot. And that is what's happened over the last um, 20 years here, is slowly that pot uh, has been heated up. And, Neil, we are at a point where we are about to hit uh, the boiling point, and at that point it's too late because then you can't jump out. <laughs> and so that is where we are uh, in uh, various countries around the world. We are at a crisis point, but um, because we live in such prosperity compared to other parts of the world, we don't even see... And, or feel we're just nice and comfortably warm right now. We don't feel that, that, um, that we're about to get burned. All right. Uh, a burn is on the way if we don't recognize that we are like the frog in the pot. Uh, let me just point to this conference that's coming up. It starts tomorrow and it's on Saturday as well. So the 14th and 15th of June at Sheridan College, Nash Street in Perth. And as Professor Wagner has said, the conference is sold out. So it's been our privilege today to be able to lock into some of the key concepts that undoubtedly will be raised when this conference gets underway. It's called Religious Freedom at the Crossroads, the Rise of Anti-Christian Sentiment in the West. And uh, the finest legal minds are gathering and they're going to be putting forward their impressions of what's going on in Australia. Not only will it be keynote speaker Professor William Wagner, but there are also a host of 
of our finest legal minds in Australia, the likes of uh, Professor Augusto Zimmerman and Martin Isles from the Australian Christian Lobby, Neville Rocco, QC, and uh, Christopher Browier, uh, and many, many others who are on the lineup who will be speaking at this particular conference. I'll point people to how they can find some details about the conference because undoubtedly, William, there'll be people who will want to get a hold of some sort of uh, transcript, uh, some sort of uh, uh, briefing as to how the conference goes. And I'll do all we can to get a briefing uh, early next week as to how the conference has gone. But let me point people to the website of the Western Australian Legal Theory Association. Now, they're uh, they're organising the conference and the website there is walter.net.au. That's W-A-L-T-A, Western Australian Legal Theory Association, W-A-L-T-A dot net dot A-U, uh, for finding out some more details about what Australia's finest legal minds are talking about when it comes to defending uh, religious freedom in this nation. And uh, I must say a special thank you so much to distinguished Emeritus Professor William Wagner, uh, who leads that ministry, Salt and Light Global. Uh, William, just before I let you go, uh, is there a website that people can go to to find more details about Salt and Light Global? Uh, there is. It's um, SLG, like just like Salt Light Global, SLG uh, Witness, slgwitness.com, slgwitness.com. Okay. And even though this, you know, this conference, you know, has sold out due to, you know, some of the oppression and attempting to suppress it. Um, you know, I would encourage people to, you know, still look in to see because, you know, there are people that sometimes don't show up. And so, you know, hopefully if somebody really, really wants to come to that conference, that they could make a way for uh, them to attend. I suspect listeners to us today in Western Australia might be enthusiastic to get there and find out what the legal fraternity is saying when it comes to our religious freedoms. And uh, that Salt and Light website, slgwitness.com. Professor William Wagner, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.